Hey there, do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week for episode 167, it's Mike Bingham. He is the vocalist and altogether mastermind of the band Spiritual Cramp, who just released their incredible self-titled debut album this last Friday. And uh, I, it's if you have you heard this thing, it's so fucking good. I have been screaming the name Spiritual Cramp from the mountaintops for a number of years. They've been releasing EP seven inches, what have you for a number of years now. But we finally have the full length. And God damn, I got to say it was worth the wait. They have a record release show, actually, November 15th up in San Francisco at the Kilowatt Bar that you should check out if you are in the area. Uh, in December, they're going to be supporting Military Gun in the UK. Wish I could see that. That is a killer, killer little tour there. Um, but yeah, I can't say enough things about this record. I love Mike. Very, very good friend. Um, he also plays guitar in Spice. If you're a fan of Spice, that band is fantastic. He's been in a lot of bands. We talk about a lot of the history of uh, the music he's been a part of because he has been in a lot of bands and he's got a very, very interesting story. Um, I won't waste your time too much here. We're going to get right to it. But I want to let you know that there's a bonus episode available right now where Mike answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that by going over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as $3 a month to get access to that. Subscribe for a little bit more and you yourself can submit questions to upcoming guests. There's a Discord channel, all sorts of fun stuff we have going on over there. If you've ever noticed the uh, Radio Hour episodes that I used to do, I'm still doing them there. You get a new Radio Hour every Sunday. So, um, yeah, go help. Subscribe means a lot. Help support the show. Um, another way to do that is just telling your friends, letting them know that this is happening, posting about the show. That helps a lot. Um, leaving a positive rating and review on uh, Spotify or Apple, you know, subscribing in those places. All these things help a lot and it means so much. Um, but that's it for me. So without further ado, let's hear from the visionary himself, the one and only, it's Mike Bingham. Well, look, it's my handsome friend, Mike. How are you, Mike? Hey, Jeremy, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks. How about yourself? 
Oh, you know, I am. Well, it's, I'm actually, uh, I'm thrilled because this is one of these conversations that um, we've been circling for a very long time. And what, this is one in particular too, where whenever it got brought up about you coming on the show, I was like, we're waiting until you have your goddamn full length coming out. Yeah. And here we are. Here we are. I I, I like I remember for a while. Like I I I in my head I'm like, why why didn't he ask me to be on the show, man? What's up? And then I I remember we we're like hanging out, and I was like, yeah, what's up, man? Like, what? Why don't you put me on the show? You look me deadpan in the eyes, and you're like, yeah, you could come on the show when you make an LP, Mike. And I was like, that was like four years ago or something. No, no, was pretty- <laughs> I mean, I've been doing the show for for just yeah three years now. But yeah, yeah and the thing is. Is yeah, it's like you know when friends randomly drop, you know maybe they have a tour coming up or they have a, you know they drop some new songs or something like that. That's one thing, but um, I'll probably reiterate this as the show goes on. Um, and I would not say this to many guests, but your band is one of my favorite bands in the entire world, and I want this. I wanted for me this episode to be like, let's shine the biggest spotlight possible on this big achievement, which is you guys have this record coming out and it's so fucking good. So that's why we're doing this today. Thank you, dude. I, I appreciate that so much. You know, it's funny, um, kind of kind of a little off topic here, but we were just in Dallas and we were playing the show and this guy ran up to me and he was like, I found out about your band through Jeremy Bohm. And I was like, oh, like, he, and I, I was like, well, what, what happened? And he said, I was talking to him after the show. And he told me that you guys were his favorite band and that I had to check you out. And I don't Aww. remember the guy's name, but like, yeah. and I, I was going to, it's like just coming to me in this moment, but I was going to text you and just be like, dude, like, thank you so much. Like, that's so cool. <laughs> but like, this guy was there because you were like, hey, go check that band Aww. out. And, um, and he enjoyed it. He was really nice. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Dallas. Yeah. I, every now and again, I'll get, you know, someone will come up to me and be like, yo, what are you listening to right now? Or who should I check out? And like, I love those conversations. Sometimes you get a little like a little jarred because you like feel like you have to give this really thoughtful. Yeah, you totally. Know, or and also like maybe name a band that's like, you know, not fucking the national, like some big band that everybody in the world knows. So you're like, you're like, OK, what's a cool recommendation? And often yeah. in those things, I will I would say spiritual cramp. So that's so because that's I I appreciate that so much because like you want to pick a because when someone asks you that question you want to pick a band that's like cool too so that right. like when they go check it out they're like oh like he just put me on to something really cool so I and yeah I mean I you know you're you're truly a fan of music so uh, thank you very much I appreciate yeah that. man um so you know I say this every now and again when I have a uh so a guest on who is someone that I'm also pals with you're someone that you know we've 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 had group dinners together yeah you know, we like actually, go to dinner we're actual other, friends so. yeah yeah um i don't know if i know exactly you're from the bay but like where in the bay are you from i don't know if i know that yeah totally so i i'm so i was born in a town called santa rosa okay. um and then i moved up to vancouver washington when i was like i want to say i was like five and from I, ages wow. five to I want to say 14, I lived in Vancouver, Washington. And then I moved back down to Santa Rosa. Uh, and then I made my way down to San Francisco, like eventually. I think I was I was like 26 when we moved to San Francisco. And then I lived there for like eight years. Dude, five to 14, that is very formative years. Uh, do you mind yeah. if I ask what brought you up there? Was it like parents getting a new job? What was the story? 
Yeah, yeah. My dad got a job up there, I think. Like, it's hard It's hard um, to, like, kind of, like, grasp onto, like, the narrative of something that was so long ago. But I believe that my dad got a job. And at the time, I think that that was, like, the only place my parents could afford to buy a house. Like, like the, I, I think I did some research. And, like, I think they bought their house for, like, $40,000. So they bought a or way maybe less than that. It's, it's, I'm not really quite sure. But, um. Yeah, so I lived in Vancouver, Washington. Yeah, so I moved there. I think I was five, maybe four, and um, and then I like kind of suddenly through like some family stuff that went that happened, like kind of got sent back to live in California. Okay, um, and I was sent, and I went and lived with my grandparents, and I lived got there. it. Yeah, uh, and then I kind of just moved around there. So you know, like like those are obviously the years when you're starting to become a person you're starting to have a personality you're discovering things and whatever so the first question i usually, usually ask musicians is what was the first thing you remember connecting with musically that felt like it was yours maybe not something that was being played in the house by family but something that you discovered that gave you a sense of identity and was that while you were up there yeah it definitely was while i was up there um i i was i think that like it because i you know I, I thought about this question and like there's different entry points to me, right? For like, the, there's different types of answers that I could give you for that. Like the first, because I grew up in a really religious household. Um, both my parents were very, very like right-wing Christian. Um, and we weren't allowed to have secular music in our house, right? So the first like even snippets of music that I heard that I like latched onto were at like youth group when I was like 10 Sure. I think, and it, I remember it was bands like uh, the Newsboys and like DC Talk uh, and Five Iron Frenzy and Supertones. I kind of like learned to kind of, I got into skateboarding, right? I was like 12 and I was like skateboarding and I was like listening to this like alternative Christian music. Um, and that was the first time I remember like getting CDs and like latching onto distorted guitars and like like loud rhythmic vocals and like you know like hip-hop rhythms and guitar hooks and fast music really um yeah and then there were you, and then were there you was like them? was it like from like christian bookstores that actually had the cd section because I, I i that's yeah. come up now and again especially if i often interview somebody who's maybe from the south they have that same sort of upbringing you know where it's like oh we weren't allowed to listen to this but then they found like bands on tooth and nail or solid state like stuff that was seen sounded secular but wasn't secular kind of a deal yeah definitely that's like for sure my entry point into but i didn't even know like what i was into at the time could have been considered quote-unquote subculture right like i just like thought that that was like christian music and like it was it just it just tickled my interest right and like so I was into skateboarding and there was a show called like G rock. It was like, it was a, it, which I believe stands for God rock or something. God rock, baby. Yeah. But it was a surfing, it was a surfing, skateboarding and snowboarding television show on this Christian network. And they would play all these like straight up like punk bands. There was this, there was this like street punk band called officer negative. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. But they were a Christian band. Um, and I remember on that 
show so i was like listening to this like music that i sort of thought was punk but i was really into skateboarding so like i I was tangentially kind of aware of like other punk music and on that show they had the the intro of it was no effects is sticking in my eye that bass line that and um and i remember i really i heard that and i remember i wanted to know what it was because it was it like the way that it, it was different it sounded like it was way faster and um and i think through that show and just like you know continued interest in skateboarding i kind of found out about like the ramones and no effects and rancid um and through you know those bands i kind of found out about other other bands it's kind of a weird entry point especially for like someone like me whose whole like kind of stick is so like punk rock and like maybe like i could you know you could see me being like kind of anti-religion or something like that it's like it was definitely my first entry point yeah was once you got into stuff that wasn't just christian was it a situation where you were having to like hide that you had that stuff from your parents and stuff like that because i mean similarly my my mom super religious um and you know wouldn't often want to like look like i don't know that she thought that she needed to ever look at the liner notes of the stuff that i was buying but there was a couple (laughs) occasions where she did and i had to like explain myself and it was really uncomfortable were you ever having to like hide hide stuff that you were buying and was it difficult bringing that in like did it feel like contraband oh yeah you know that that is like it's you hit the nail on the head like i mean at a certain point i remember because you know like i was into like christian rock and then you know obviously i got into like Pennywise and AFI and just like all that like entry point stuff. Totally. Um, and you know, they were, they were swearing a lot and they were talking about like, fuck this and fuck that. Um, and they, you know, the imagery used was way darker and way more striking, like, you know, burning buildings and, 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 you know, or heavy petting zoo. <laughs> yeah. Like heavy petting zoo. Like that's insane. And like, the, yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> Like the record that no that so I went and found that record you know uh, that sticking in my eye was on and it's called White Trash Two Heaves and a Bean right right and um and I got that CD and I I just remember reading those lyrics and being like man like if he if if they ever find out by this time my parents had divorced right so I was living with my dad yeah my dad was pretty strict and um and my mom had like gone on another path of like hippie so like I could do whatever I wanted at my mom's house but at my dad's it was like okay if he ever finds this like I am in big trouble like i remember it got so like the um, the hiding part of like what it was that i had i had to hide like i had this rancid shirt with a skull on it and i had to like take it off and hide it in a bush in like uh, in the apartment complex that we lived in um yeah it was like full-blown and i i remember i would like lie to my parents and be like yeah like this band's a christian like I, i remember trying to convince my parents that afi was a christian band (laughs) <laughs> um, because it would like seemed kind of spiritual, you know, like it, like like because I was I was repping Black Sails in the Sunset really hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that record, like if you like look at it, and you could be like, oh, this is like a like because it was really like it was like quite uh you know quite the, the the lyrics and stuff at the time were like quite evil, right? But yeah. but but if you didn't know, you could just look at it really quick and be like, oh yeah, like they're like. A Christian, but I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but yeah, right. Like that's like what my whole experience was like in 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 my entry point to that for years too. Till I pretty much left the house. 
so when you ended up going to live with your grandparents, did you have that freedom all of a sudden where you're like, now I can just do whatever. Now I can actually listen to what I want without fear of like any sort of repercussion. Kind of. They were just as they were just as into religion. Hmm. Um, but I think that they, like like it's interesting because like my parents were just like or my, specifically my dad, like at a certain point, my mom kind of just like like I wouldn't say she left the picture. She was always kind of tangentially around. But like it was my dad who was kind of like trying to figure me out. Right. Cause I was like, you know, I was going through a hard time. I was doing a lot of bad stuff, getting in trouble at school. And you know, he, he probably saw me coming home with like all of these like crazy, scary images, right. That he had never seen before. And like, he'd be like, what is rancid? You know, like right. why is this band called rancid here? Or what, you know, what is like social distortion or all that stuff. And like, so he was trying really hard to like, control it right and be like no that's not allowed we don't do that right and and in turn like i was just like well, fuck you because i'm gonna do whatever i want totally. and then when i went down to live with my grandparents like you know i wasn't letting that go right it wasn't something that i was like oh okay dad like you don't want me to do this well i'm gonna i i, I okay fine I, I was more like i'm gonna do this anyway and no one's gonna stop me and um yeah. And so I got down to my grandparents and they were, they were a little more, they were softer for sure. They, they didn't necessarily agree with what it was that I was like listening to, but that was the, that was the time when I started like being able to like go to shows and stuff. Like I, I, I like if I was going to shows before that, my, like I was like, I was lying to like go to them. Right. And I was like saying, Oh, I'm going to go spend the night at like Sam's house or whatever. And like, we right. would go out to like a, you know, show like the first the shows first? i went to were were, were yeah so, uh, disguised it, <laughs> what was uh do you remember the first album you under you bought with your own money or like allowance or convinced your parents was that would that have been one of those probably like tooth and naily sort of christian bands you know i the first one that like i remember being like this is mine was a social distortion record called mainliner which uh, and it's like like it's called Mainliner Wreckage from the Past and it's like, um, it's like a bunch of like seven inches and stuff all compiled. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't know which I was I was just looking up which one that is. Yeah, it's like a compilation of stuff that was done before Mommy's Little Monster. Okay. Um, and like that song 1945 is on there. Um, oh yeah, it's got the guitar on the cover with the sticker. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think what, Ed Culver shot those. What uh. Awesome was there a reason you picked that one up or was it just because that was the one that was at the store at that time? Cause it's obviously, yeah, it's like a compilation record as opposed to like, you know, one of the main bigger ones. Yeah. I just didn't know. Like I, yeah, uh, sure. like at the time it was just like, I, like, so there was this store called Fred Meyer um, next to my house in Vancouver. And I like would walk over there and that's just how I killed time. And you could scan CDs and like, listen to them. If you remember that. Oh yeah. Um, and so I would just go there and like scan like copies of Kerplunk, you know, or like Dookie. Forget, was just, it like, did it just play you like snippets? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. Yeah. It just played you snippets. And, um, and I think that that social distortion record, like I just remember like a couple of my friends were into that band and, you know, that was what they had there. I think I had heard the song Don't Drag Me Down on Dave Mira Freestyle BMX, the video game. Okay. Um, and I knew that I liked social distortion. So I went and just bought it and I, I got it. And it was like, 
it was way less hi-fi than I thought it was going to be. You know, it's like, it was like their early recordings, which were like, I want to say it's like 1980, maybe earlier. That's than the comp. So I imagine they're probably throwing in like old demos and like, I've never, I haven't checked out that compilation, but I imagine some of that stuff was probably pretty, pretty rough sounding compared to obviously their big records. Yeah, totally. Like, well, yeah, like White Light, White Hue, White Trash. Like that record was like a huge major. So I thought that that's what I was buying. Yeah. And, um, and I got it and I got home and that was like my first time I ever heard like a record that was like, like, like it sounded like old, like, right. you know, like, like the old Misfits recordings or like any of yeah. that stuff. It's like, it kind of sounds bad. Totally. But I remember being like, oh, this sounds different than that song I heard on the BMX video game, but I'm going to listen to it into the ground anyway. And, and that's kind of like where I started to realize that like, oh, like recordings don't have to be perfect or whatever. Yeah, it's so funny. I, I think I know that feeling you're describing too, because I there was also times I remember when I would get something that, and you know, when you're young, you you don't know the difference between audio qualities. So like sometimes your first thought might be, the CD's broken. Yeah, <laughs> like totally. Like what's wrong with my CD? You know, yeah. like I even when I was working at a a record store, I'd have people try to return CDs sometimes because they were just like confused about the audio quality and you'd have to kind of let them know like no that's just that's just the way they recorded it i don't know what to tell you uh, uh, you know it's not broken it's not yeah broken. It, it like like my my first introduction to the misfits was um famous monsters mm, and okay. um i heard that and i was like dude this rocks like i was and then i got into that american psycho record too that they did yeah um and then i bought collection two and I remember it was the same thing. Like when I hit play on collection two, I was like, this is like, <laughs> this sucks. You know, like for yeah. it took me a second, I was like, this sucks, dude. Like famous monsters rocks. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But it's like when you're, when back then it was like, that was like, okay, well like you don't like it. Like you better listen to it 20 times and find a reason to like it. Cause you, you already know. spent your money on it. Yeah. You spent your money on it. And like, like you, you're not going to get another $10 for another two weeks or whatever. Totally. So. Um, what was your uh, what was your first concert? So, I can't remember. I, I could I could have looked it up. Um, I could have looked it up, um, but I didn't. It was one of two shows. Um, okay. It was Poison Idea, um, Flogging Molly, and a band called Longshot um, from Portland. So yeah, the Flogging Molly show was my first show. It was Flogging Molly, Poison Idea, Longshot at the Pine Street Theater in Portland, Oregon. Um, and I snuck away with my friend Sam and his parents. His parents took us to the show. And, wow. That's like yeah. a very hard show, too. It was really cool. Um, I like I crowd surfed, I remember. I remember going there being like, I'm going to crowd surf. And I did. Um, and I was probably 13, 14. Yeah. Um, and, but see, the, here's the thing is, right? Like, I lived in Vancouver, Washington, and I didn't have a car and the shows were all in Portland, right? Cause it's, you know, Vancouver is like a 10 minute drive from Portland. So like when these concerts were coming through, like I didn't have access to them. Like I knew that they were happening cause I could get a copy of like the Willamette weekly and see the shows, but like there was no way for me to get over there. Um, cause you know, my parents for sure weren't going to take me. And it was just like, there was like a, there was there was a lack of access to it, right? So I, I went to that show, and then I, the another the next show I went to was in two thousand three, and that was all Voodoo Glow Skulls, straight faced and agnostic front, um, and that was in oh. Seattle. 
what a wildly weird lineup, but pretty yeah. awesome. It was cool. I didn't I didn't care either. Like I was like Voodoo Glow Skulls rock, all rocks. Like I just thought it all rocked. Yeah, it's like it, aggressive ska, pop punk, and then agnostic front. Yeah, totally. And have you, did you ever listen to that band Straight Faced? Uh, you know, I think that I wanted to like it because they're a straight edge band, right? I, I couldn't tell you. But... I think that I assume they were because th that's like a band that I think when I when I learned about Straight Edge, I just I saw that band name at a record store and I just assumed that they were yeah. Straight Edge. Maybe they totally. are. Maybe they aren't. But uh, but um, yeah, I think I tried to listen to one of the records, but it didn't do anything for me. The one on yeah. Epitaph from like '98, The Conditioned. I think that's the record I checked out. Yeah, I remember not liking it either. But one one thing I'll say about that first show that I went to is so like I I went and I, I bought a long shot shirt. I remember like my friend's parents bought me a shirt. Uh-huh. Um and instead of getting an uh, a poison idea shirt or a flogging molly shirt, because I, I liked the the first band for some reason. Yeah. And and like fucking twenty no, I don't know how many years later it was. Oh, was that two thousand eleven? I don't remember how old it was, but I was on tour in Portland, Oregon, and this was way, way later. Like, I think it was like a creative adult show. Um, so that was probably 2015. I, my timeline's so askew, but my uncle came to the show and he brought a friend and I was, and we were talking and he was like, yeah, like I played in a band for a long time too. And I was like, oh, what band did you play in? He was like, oh, I played in a band called Longshot from Portland. And I remember just being like, dude, like you have no idea. Like I thought your band oh was the my, coolest thing in the world. Dude, what a full circle ass moment. Yeah, it was crazy. And he was like, you know, he was there to see our band. Like, cause, you know, obviously because my uncle put him on. But yeah, that was really cool. Was your uncle someone that ever, when you were younger, was like a guiding light to you at all into like getting you into stuff? Or did you realize later in life that he was into cool stuff? I, so, okay. Like before I even really got into punk rock, and like I was maybe just starting to get into skateboarding. My uncle took me to his band practice. He was a drummer in a band. And they were practicing in like Portland, Oregon at some practice studio. I was probably, I don't know. It's like my timeline is so, I'm so bad at like remembering, you sure. know, all, all this stuff. But like, yeah, he took me to his practice studio. And I remember him watching him play drums and i remember the band members smoked pot and i remember my uncle being like stop 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 and i remember trying to be like no i know what that is i do that too but i didn't yeah and like yeah. um and yeah yeah he was like he 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 wore doc martens you know like i didn't know what it was what that was and he had long hair um but he was never like listen to this band or listen to that band it, that was all like that was all me like trying to find something do you think hindsight he knew how strict your folks were and was maybe trying to like not be a bad you know quote unquote bad influence but also at the same time wanted to show you that there was something else out there like you know maybe even just a little bit it's possible it's it's really hard to tell what everyone's intentions were at the when time when you're young totally yeah yeah like cuz i was i just got into so much trouble like from like ages like nine onwards like i was just like there i was just reacting to like this world that was around me in a really poor way and like um 
it's so hard to tell like what he was thinking and like, you know, like what, what anyone's perception of me was like now in hindsight, I realized I was like, Oh, I was just like a little kid who like kind of had a rough home life. And so I was reaching or I was, I was reacting. But at the time, like, I remember thinking like, why is everyone treating me like I'm a bad kid? You know, like <laughs> it was, I was just getting all I was, all I ever did was get in trouble, right? All I ever yeah. had in front of me was consequences. So like, it's hard to tell if like at the time he was like, oh, you just have a hard home life, you know, like, or if he even knew that, or if he thought like, oh, like, you know, you're a bad yeah. kid, I, you know, but I'm, I'm not sure, but he was always really nice to me. And I always thought it was cool that he played the drums. That's amazing. So when did you, when did you start? Cause uh, was guitar your first instrument? Yeah, it was. Guitar was my first instrument. And when did um, you start playing guitar? Yeah, I started playing guitar. I think I was probably like, like in, in my freshman in freshman year in high school. Um, okay. I had been in, I got into punk in seventh grade, right? And so like seventh grade, you know, entry level, eighth grade, I, I, I'm like fully into the Misfits and fully into NoFX. In ninth grade um, was like, I want a guitar for Christmas from my mom. And my mom was like, by this time, like my, my, my parents started like together and they were like very fundamentalist Christian. And then they, they split up. And my, my dad went like even further down that hole and my mom went the other way. Like she moved to Portland, um, came out of the closet and was like, I'm, I'm like a spiritual person, right? She went like full spiritual, full like, which was really cool for a kid like me who wanted to get into stuff. So she, I would go over to her house on the weekends sometimes and she would be like, oh yeah, like you like music? That's awesome. Like, how can I support that? Right. And so I told my mom for Christmas I wanted a guitar, um, and she got me a guitar. There's like a video of me pulling it out of like the box. It was a Samick Stratocaster, which is like a this weird like off brand. Um, and yeah, I remember like that was the moment that like I remember being like, I'm gonna start a band and I'm gonna be in a I'm gonna be cool. You know, that was like the first time I thought that. What kind of guitar was it? It, it it was a it was a band it was it was a strat it was like it was like a very it, like it probably cost a hundred dollars like like a it starter was, strat kind of kit oh yeah it was deal. like this yeah. it was a it was this brand called Samic it was an off brand okay yeah 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 it was like it was uh, a red guitar and it had like wood grain on it and it didn't have a pick guard you know so it was more like kind of like weird like it was a weird guitar. Yeah, and I remember being like, "This isn't what I wanted," but you know what I mean. Like that's kind yeah, of like, guitar is a guitar. You're gonna yeah. make it work. Was it was it hard to play, or was it? Because like sometimes you know it's a thing that's come up on the show before, where like um, parents sometimes don't want to spend a ton of money because they don't know if your kids can actually fully take to it and not just be like a weekend, you know, or like a summer hobby or something like that. So sometimes parents don't want to put in the extra dough to get something a little nicer. But the downside is that sometimes those guitars are actually quite challenging to play. And yeah. in a way becomes a disservice because you're like, well, it's, you know, like you, well, an example would be like, sometimes you get an, you see the kid who gets the acoustic and the, the action is so high that you're like, you can't even, these little kid fingers can't even make chords, you know? So yeah. I guess what, what I'm getting at is, was a guitar easy enough to play or was it challenging at all? Dude, I did not care at all like you Perfect. could have been like it, like the, that detail it, at the time was like the most unimportant thing like yeah. i had what i wanted in front of me and i was gonna 
become good at it. And that was like, that was the start and the end of it. So like, I mean, I got that thing and I just, I'd never put it down. I remember like, I'm still like, you know, and I say, I say this with like humility, but like, I'm still a pretty good guitar player. Like I, I can shred solos and stuff like I like, and it's because I like all I did from that age until I was 23 was play guitar. Yeah. I never stopped. And I, I learned I I learned how to play any song like like you know, it was pretty entry level at first. And then I mean I just like Did you I take was, lessons or did you just ear train yourself? I did not take lessons. No. My mother was very good at like instilling my mom would like my my mother is like um how do I say this? Like she my mom's a really extreme person. Right. So she would like be like, she would be like, you can become famous. She would say, she said, she would say, you have perfect pitch. Like she, like, uh, like a grandi, a bit bit of grandiosity, a bit, like a bit is actually a bit of an understatement, but yeah. But like, but she instilled this thing in me where like, no one had ever told me that before. Like no one was ever like, yo, you can do anything you want. And so like my mom being like, you have perfect pitch. She'd be like, you can sing really well you you are you are a natural at this guitar like i don't know if any of that was true but i remember being like i do have perfect pitch and i and and so maybe i did maybe i didn't but what i did figure out how to do is is you know like i can i can hum you a so you know still sometimes to this day like i can i'm not gonna do it right now because then then they'll pull my card but like maybe i can try (laughs) what is it what is it no way! What is it? I'm not, I'm not gonna do it right now. But like, like, yeah, like, I, I there, there was like a positive reinforcement that that was being instilled, whether it was truthful or not. But anyway, it just like it was a. It's important for a little kid to fucking hear that stuff because yeah, you know, you don't know if you've ever had anyone in your corner that much before, but you have your mom all of a sudden just being like, "You can do this. You have it. Like, and now go." Yeah, that never happened with school. Like, you know, like any, like the normal things that like a lot of people experience as children, like that did not happen with me. But like, that was the first time I ever remember my mom. Cause my, I think my mom was really good at music. And mm. I remember her just like instilling that in me. And so like, I never had lessons, but like, I was very, very serious about becoming good at it. So like, I learned how to read tabs by like, like I just went on the internet and I looked at tabs and I remember being like, I don't quite understand what this means, but I think three means third fret. And it, you know, the, I could see that there were six lines and yeah. I remember being like, okay, like zero, that must mean open. And so like, I, I learned how to make bar chords right there. And, um, and my mom did teach me A, B, C, D, E, F, G, um, on, on in open chords. Cause I, I, she was, you know, she was musically inclined. Yeah. Okay, so she played she played guitar a little bit. Yeah, she did play guitar. Like I, it's funny because like these are like like a lot of this is like not stuff that I like access very much, you know? Because I like you know it's like wasn't it wasn't like the most fun growing up for me. So like to think about it, it's like oh yeah, like my mom was a guitar player and she was also she was also a pianist, right? Um, and but I don't remember much of it growing up, like you know having it in my life. But like I remember when I started playing guitar, she bought a an acoustic. And she, and she, and so I would go over to her house on the weekends and like, she would, they would have an acoustic guitar over there and she, she, yeah, she, 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 she did teach me a little bit. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, how quickly once you were able to 
make sense of some elements of the guitar, did you want to start a band? And how quickly did you start a band? I wanted to start a band immediately. Yeah. It was it was like a matter of the access again. Like it was like I had this electric guitar, but like I didn't have an amp. Um and and like that was probably not gonna come for a while. Um yeah. but I did I think I like again, my timelines are like I'm just like the worst at like remembering anything. I can't remember what I ate for breakfast. My wife will tell you that, but like it was pretty quick. It was probably like immediately now that I'm thinking about it, because like I was in a band in high school. Um, with, you know, you know, you know what the first thing I did was, is me and my friends, um, Anders Peterson and Jordan Warmack. Um, it was freshman year. So it must've been, I got it. I believe I got my guitar over the summer of eighth grade and ninth grade. So I went into high school kind of like with some knowledge of guitars. Yeah. And freshman year we played the talent show and I, okay, so this is the first band and this is also first show. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. I, I, if you would consider that to be like yeah. a show. Let's fir- let's first let's uh let's two bird two uh two birds one stone this situation. So what was the, what was the name of that first band? Do you remember? We didn't have a name. It was I I, I they, they must have built it on the talent show as something. Yeah. But maybe it was Michael Anders and Jordan playing. We we covered the Blitzkrieg Bop okay. by the Ramones. Yeah. And Did I sang and played singing? guitar. All right. Yes. And and this oh my goodness. This is like a this is like a nightmare story. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. It was so like I was playing guitar and singing. Um Jordan played the drums and Anders played the bass, right? And Jordan's dad was a full-blown musician. And Jordan lived in like a like a you know, like a nice house, right? And like yeah. his so he, his dad had a jam room. And so there was drums and there was fender guitar like big fender twins you know at the time it was like it looked so the fender twin looked so big to me yeah and it's like fucking um, the opening scene of back to the future like they're just the big <laughs> dude it, like i remember going into that room and i remember that first time plugging into that twin and just like i don't think i had ever heard anything that loud it may have been the first time i ever really cranked an amp yeah um, and i remember being there and just being like being like this is it baby and and so we decided we were going to cover blitzkrieg bop we we were we were like talking about i remember which songs to cover at like in high school one time and like i remember there was like one ramon song and i remember them looking at me and being like dude it has a solo in it you can't do that and i remember being like oh shit like i can't do that so we picked a song without any solos we practice like I don't remember how many times we practice. We practice a lot of times. We go to the talent show. We get up on stage. I mean, the details of all of it escape me. I don't remember what I was wearing, which is funny for a guy like me because it seems like I would have been paying attention to that at the time. But yeah. I wasn't quite there yet. And pretty swagged out, pre- way pretty swagged out. Like I would probably had on like. You know those like ball necklaces, this the metal ball necklaces. Do I know about the ball necklace? You know I know about the ball. Yeah, necklace. you yeah, were probably a, fully going a, hard on that. I was a metal kid. You, yeah, I was down right. as hell. Yeah, yeah. And so we played, we played right. We got on stage, and we start going for it. And dude, I broke a string. No, like immediately. Like what, no. I, I don't know how. Maybe it was like at like in the first chorus. Yeah. Um, 
Was it a was it a mandatory string? It was, was it a like mandatory a, string. Was it a low I want e or something. I want to say it was like my D string. E. Um, and and I remember at the time that was the first time like I had been playing guitar a lot, right? So like I sort of knew that like because you know when you're playing a power chord, right? And you're playing, do you know how you know how to play that song? It's just it's like dun dun dun. Well, if you don't necessarily need the D string if you slide up. Right, and you could do that because it's a. It's, the song goes A D E, right? But I basically on stage realized that, like, okay, if I slide this power chord all the way up to the top of the fretboard, I get that same noise, the D. And I remember in the moment doing it, and like, wow. like kind of like it just was super instinctual. I kind of knew that that's what you did. You know what I mean? Like you can compensate, like. Um, people who don't like play music might not understand what I'm talking about, but like, there's a way that you can play the same chord higher up on the fretboard, um, for a broken string. That's and, incredible that you just in the moment instinctually, like the emergency response figured it out. Yeah. That's hella impressive. I would have probably just been like, uh, cut it. it. I remember we finished the song and I remember, it may, you know what I mean? It may not have been like, uh, like a elegant Thing. Hey, no one's looking for the playback video. We just oh, this, is, this is a this is the best version of the best story. Yeah, um, but I remember like the thrill of leading up to that show and like being on stage and like the excitement of that being the first time I experienced what it is that like my day to day life is now and what it is that I basically dedicate my entire life to now. Because we need to definitely get at least one early band name in. What is a later, earlier band name? Or like, or okay, you know what? Actually, let's transition this. How long did that thing last with your three friends? And um, like, did that continue or did you start another band? Yeah, so that didn't continue. Like, what happened was is Jordan Warmack, who like, I still see him uh, or, you know, chat with him every now and again, like through the internet. Like, he's, he's great. He's doing great. He lives in Vancouver, Washington. Um, or actually maybe he's like in Seattle, but it's like a scientist or whatever. Like he did really <laughs> well for himself. Um, he went and played in a, a really cool band called in public view, like who was like the coolest band at our high school. And I started a band called far from first, um, which, which I was also the singer of. Okay. Um, I played guitar and sang and God, that's a pretty geez. good band name for like a young kid far from first that's not yeah bad. yeah totally like there were some it's, bands it sounds young but it sounds like a young punk band but like that's that's it's that's a good one it was yeah like it was like um i mean in hindsight it's hard to tell what that was you know if that makes any sense like it's just like probably like, an amalgamation of all the different kinds of punk you're listening to you know yeah probably a lot of just like three chord power chord stuff i assume yeah, like I remember I was like trying to sing about politics, but like I didn't know what I was talking about. And I just remember being like, what was it? There was like a, I can't remember, but but the newspaper, the high school newspaper did like a little article about us. Um, and our drummer was Metal John. And he goes, this guy, I remember thinking he was the coolest. He was really good at, it was another drummer who had a place where we could practice and he had amps and he was really good at drums because he was into metal. So we could use like double bass and stuff. And uh, he was into the band 36 Crazy Fists. Oh, was, hell yeah. And I remember being like, I don't know what that is, but like, and I don't think I like it, but, <laughs> you know, like I did, I just knew that I didn't like that. And, but he was really good at drums. 
And we played one show at the Hazeldell Grange Hall in Vancouver, Washington. Um, all original material. It was like, you know, like, like I think we played six songs that we had written. I, this was the first time that I had written music. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I wrote all the songs. I forget who was playing guitar. My friend, maybe this guy named Brady was playing guitar. Um, and yeah, he had a, he had a gold top Epiphone Les Paul. And I remember really digging that Les Paul and thinking it was really nice, but uh, yeah, we played, um, and this is a funny story. So we played that show. It was like with a bunch of our high school friend bands. Like, I don't remember what it was, but, um, but this kid at the time, the bass player of that band that like I did the, the talent show with spit on me while we were playing that show. Cause him and I like had gotten into a big fight. Um, oh, no. it was I, honestly like, I, I don't remember what it was that like I did to prompt that, but like, I was thinking about, <laughs> I was thinking about this and I was like, like, why did that guy spit on me? And, and I remember thinking like, like later on in the day, like, like, you know what, if whatever it was, like, I probably had it coming. Like, you know, like the same way that like I was fucking up at school. Like I was like not a normal, well-adjusted kid. Like I was like, you know what I mean? I probably did some super dickhead thing to him. Like, it's hard to remember, but, um, but he spit on me at the show in the middle of a song. And I remember just being like, whatever, I'm just going to continue doing it. And I, so I just continued to play, you know, like I just wiped the spit off and just kept playing. Um, yeah. which, so onlookers, they were like, damn, this band's hard. I mean, yeah. Like, it, you know, that's like a uh, hard to, this band is punk. This band spits on one another. That's hard. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, that was, and then we played one and then we, someone else came in and started singing for that band. His name was Nick. Um, and Nick was also a kid I remember who got like in a lot of trouble and that's why him and I got it, got along really well together. And I think he, excuse me, got in some heavier drugs later on, but, uh, but yeah, we, we played a show at the Mountain View Ice Arena as this new, you know, um, incarnation of the band and, and it was more hardcore. Cause by that time, that was like sophomore or junior year. And by that time we had discovered refused. Um, okay. and like, and like we had gone back in like AFI's catalog and we in, and, and like agnostic front and like we really, we started and like American almost like this was like, we were discovering American nightmare at this point. Like it was yeah. like hardcore. Um, and so we changed all the songs and Nick was screaming over it. Um, you know, we, we, and it was more like the, like the unseen, you know, it was just like, yeah, all these, we, we were kind of really deep in it by like, so, sophomore is what comes before senior, right? Junior. We we're uh, probably no, juniors. Junior. Yeah. Yeah. But um So you're still in Washington at this point or now are you bar- are you in Santa Rosa? Yeah, no, I'm in, I'm I'm in Santa Rosa at the time. Okay. Um I mean I mean I'm sorry, I'm still in Washington at the time. Okay. Um Got and it. and then like basically right after that is when I moved down to California. When you ended up coming back down here, uh was it did you feel like you were having to just like start over where you're like, "Yeah, now I got to meet new people. I got to figure out a way to start new bands like and how quickly did you kind of get your footing to in that world yeah totally like i like at that point i was just like see it's like i'm like revisiting this these conversations are so interesting to me because i don't revisit this version of myself very much because like i was just this crazy kid i don't think i even like knew like like I, I, I was so busy just reacting to what was in front of me that like I don't think I was even able to like cognitively or consciously think like 
I want to be in a band. I want right. to be in a popular band. I want, you know, like I want recognition. I want to make records. It was just like, it was like a, like a flea, you know, I was just like yeah. music, music. I, I play music. I want to play music. So I got into this band and, um, it was the, I can't remember. It was called frequency murder. There was two, there's two bands I was in. One was called glory and one was called frequency murder. Frequency murder was like a metalcore band. Um, I was going to say, so that sounds a little more metalcore. Yeah, for sure. Like we, at that point we had discovered, like we were, we were like hope conspiracy, like, like a tray you, you know, like it, 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 it was anything more extreme at the time. Like poison the well was really big. Um, and we, you know, we, we I was so, uh, by the time I moved down to California, I was like, I had cycled through all the punk I could find in like, in sort of like, ten, like, like parts of hardcore, but it was mm-hmm. really punk. And, um, and I was like, no, it needs to be crazier. It needs to be crazier. And, and you know, like bands like Poison the Well and the Hope Conspiracy. And um, Were you a Converge you know, guy? Not until later on. Okay. Like later, like, like I was probably like 23 when I got into Converge. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, I was going to say just because that, I mean, to me that they were always like as extreme as you can get when it comes to like just discovering like the metal quarry world, I suppose. See, um, my introduction to music was through like, it was through like, like, you know, like, like no effects. It's like, those guys are just playing pentatonic blues scales. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was like really melodic and catchy. So my introduction to music was like, I, I cause I, and this still is a part of me, but like, I like hooky music. I always yeah. have. So when I first heard, bands like converge i remember being like look oh this is like <laughs> like where's just, the hook yeah, yeah there's like no hooks in here like it's too crazy yeah. um whereas like you know poison the well and like hope con it's like those bands were like really pretty there's choruses but yeah there's choruses and it's like the the guitar playing's beautiful and it's you know minor pentatonic scales which is just like something that i've always been been drawn to and glory was like a hardcore band yeah, Glory um, sound. That sounds like a hardcore band. That sounds yeah. like something. That sounds like a band name that would come out like next week on fucking. There probably is a band on Triple B. Now that I'm just saying that out loud, probably called Glory. Yeah, there, there, there was a band. There, there is a band. Yeah, I, I um, I met. Yeah, I, I, I met some of them. They're nice. They're nice people. That but, sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh, what about recording? What was the first time you recorded? It was for sure that band, Far From First. Okay. Um we would do it like, like i didn't even know that you could record bands you know what i'm like you could be in a band that was recorded yeah so like we went over to that guy metal john's house and he had a computer in his room right and like he had like microphones and like this like tape machine and he he recorded our practices and we would just like we would just record our practices and listen to them and at a certain point, like, I saw, what was it? It was, uh, I believe we just recorded a CD. I, okay. I, I was so far removed from what, like, that was at the time. Like, yeah. I was just there. And I was just like, I, like, I didn't even care. I, I just wanted to, like, I wasn't paying attention to the details. Mm. Right? So, like, we were recording, and I think that, that was my first introduction to recording. The first time I recorded like a demo was with Glory. Okay. And I remember we were like in Petaluma and 
it was the, we we knew we 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 knew uh, the guys in the band were a little older than I was, um, and we knew we were gonna wanted to record a demo. Like they were like, oh, we have to record a demo, and I was like, I don't know what that is, but <laughs> you know, I'm gonna do it. And they were, were like, you just playing guitar in this band? Or were you singing? This I band was too? one of the singers of the band. Okay. It was, we had two singers. Um, yeah, very cool stuff. And and you know, it was the kind of thing that happened when like. And like, you can't decide which friend, you know, like we all want to yeah. be in the band. Were you just singing and not playing guitar too? Yeah, I was just singing. And like Fuck this yeah. other guy named Casey was singing as well. Yeah. Um, and they kicked me out of the band um, mm -hmm. because they wanted to be a straight edge band and I was not straight edge. But but I was on the first demo. Thank you very much. And <laughs> <laughs> which is which was recorded in like a barn. Um, I don't remember who the like, quote unquote, engineer was, but the way that they described it to me like they were like oh this guy is like coming over and he's like a real guy yeah and like he had like recorded some like you know some bands like cds or whatever and um yeah we like recorded it in this barn and i remember that the other singer of glory couldn't sing on time you know when bands like can't like a singer can't sing on time yeah, they're always yeah. like a measure or like a step ahead or a step below. Yeah. yeah, I feel it. Yeah. And like, like, I remember no one had the heart to tell him. Like, hey, man, like, you really have to like. So all my vocal, because I, I, I kind of already had rhythm in me, right? And I like knew how to like tap and I knew how yeah. that worked. And so my vocals were all on time. But I remember going home and listening to it in the bathtub. Um, and I took a bath. You know, I was, I've always been into taking baths. And, um, Remember I listened to it in the bathtub and being like, this is so good. <laughs> you know? like, just <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Just being like, I have, I have arrived. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, like, you know, we played some hardcore shows. Like, you know, it was like what? our first show. Oh, no, sorry, go ahead. So are you someone that took to, well, actually, let me, let me ask you this about performing live. Cause I, I don't know if I got this in. Um, even performing live, even though you had this like, you know, traumatic, like, oh, I broke a string, but you figured it out situation. Did you take to, rec to performing live? Like, did it feel great? Were you nervous going into it? Do you still get nervous to this day? Yeah, I used to get more nervous for sure. I definitely took to it. I really enjoyed it, you know? I, yeah. I really, it kind of helped form this part of myself that I don't think I had explored before performing live where like, what am I going to wear? What yeah. are, wh how am I going to perform? Like what type of, like how does my body react to this music and like what comes out of me naturally, like that kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And th like those types of ideas to explore in yourself, like these performance ideas and that like at the time when you're really young and you don't really have an identity almost in a way, or you're trying to form your identity that those things can kind of fast track that like, okay, well I need an identity. So right. like I better get that Dickies jacket and then I could be one of those kinds of guys. Um, so <laughs> nowadays, nowadays when you're about to play, are you just more excited? Do you still, do you still ever get nervous? Yeah, I don't really get nervous. I'm, I always, I get excited. I like playing shows and I think I'm pretty good at it now. And so it's more like I get excited to go out on stage and 
exercise that part of myself that I now know really well. And I right. now feel I'm very confident in. Whereas, you know, back then it was like, I didn't really know who I was. And I like, does this jacket look cool? Do I, what, what does my hair look like? Do I, are these moves cool? Am I playing well? Does my voice actually sound good? Like, yeah. But now so like, say, I'm, yeah, same I'm, sort of question with the recording. Like, did you over time, because you're someone in my mind, because you've been in so many bands yeah, and yeah. you've done, and you strike me as someone that, that records a lot at home, like trying to figure out songs and th things like that. Yeah. Is that something that you took too quickly and um, found the, I guess, like the joy in doing it as opposed to it feeling like, you know, the more rigorous part of being a musician? Yeah. I think only recently have I only started to experience any negative associations with mm. recording. And I can t talk about that in a second, but I think that initially the recording studio was a safe place for me. It was a place where I could go in there and just exercise being creative and doing what it was that I knew that I could do well. Like I knew by the time I started recording music and playing guitar, I knew that I was good at guitar because people would tell me, they would say, you're really, you know, you're really good at that. And, 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 and a lot, you know, it was like lots of people had told me that. And I think I had some, I was aware of it. And so like I could get into the studio and I wasn't afraid of it. I, I was like, oh, I can like, I can fully be the, this, I can exercise playing cool riffs and I can, I don't know. There was just something about it that I always really, I, you know, when I go into a recording studio, even to this day, especially at Different Fur, which is where Spiritual Cramp has recorded everything we've done. That's the place where I feel most safe. I, mm. I just, I feel confident and, and it, I feel heard there and I feel, you know, now that's, you know, for better or for worse. Cause you know, I've put out some records that I, I still, I do think now that if I was a little bit more thoughtful in my approach to them could have gotten been better received. Um, but you know, that's a new, new skill for me is, 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 um, is combing through things that I've done and picking out what's good and what's not. But, um, so what aspect makes it a little more negative these days? Well, okay, so I love being in a studio and I love making music and I love writing lyrics and I love writing riffs and producing records. It really is what I found out it's called. And <laughs> um, I also really love singing and and singing over <laughs> records, but there are two things that happened to me recently that have never happened to me before. And the first was that I decided to record all of the vocals for this record alone at my house. Um, and I did that because I felt really confident in my ability to write some hooks and to sing and get good takes. Um, and I think that, you know, that did happen, but man, sitting alone at your house, trying to, decide if what you're doing is good, if you need to redo something, is this lyric bad? It's like ha having that conversation only with yourself is not helpful. Um, Interesting. So like you, it was like a realization that you need that sort of feedback, like immediate feedback kind of a deal. 
Yeah, like it's like I, I you know, I kind of just alluded to this, but like the fact, like I, getting feedback from other people and like listening to other people is a new skill for me. Mm. I, I, I know that's like something that a lot of people learn when they're young, but like I kind of spent my whole life being like, I don't trust anyone, and I don't care what anyone says about anything. Yeah. Um, and you know, it it only got me so far, man. Like, whereas like with this record, I kind of I kind of went into it with the same thing. It was like. I'm going to do this myself and mm -hmm. because I know that I can. Right. And like halfway through it, some of my band members were like, Hey, like that song needs work, man. And you know, the, our, our producers and you know, our, our, our NR, like they would say, Hey, you need to go and redo that. And, wow. and uh, for this record in particular, um, and, and, and instead of knee jerk and tell them, no, like this is the way I want. I listened and I was like, Oh, okay. Like I'll go figure that out. And like, so I went back to my little hole at home and did it. <laughs> was it almost like having all of a sudden the realization that maybe your instincts aren't always right. And that being a little jarring. Yeah. Like, it, but it's like the more I lean, it, which is, you know, I think this goes back to like, you know, my childhood and stuff and my mom being like, no, no one can question you. Like you are great. Oh, right. Yeah. You are like, it was, there were, there was like a grandiosity instilled in me that I don't, and, and like a lack of like ability to stop and filter myself because I was told that like, you weren't supposed to filter yourself for anyone and fuck anyone who's in your way. It's kind of like what my mom kind of, in, in so many words, that's what I got from it. Right. Um, and like, yeah. So like to kind of come to this realization that like, no, like, not everything you do is good and not everything that not every idea that I have should be put out into the world. And this rec, this record is for sure a practice of that and me learning wow. that. Um, so you still which, like, regardless of getting the feedback, did you, you still ended up doing all the vocals yourself, even like when you were redoing it and whatever you, you did it all in your place. Yeah. It was just like, it, it became at the end of it, it became collaborative. Like I was okay. like, doing these quick vocal takes and like sending them back and forth to like a bunch of people and be like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? What do you think of this? Instead like, of am like, I on the right track, like, yeah, should I keep going down this. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And, and instead of like, you know, being in the room with like, you know, a producer, like I was just doing it at my house and sending it to people and sending it to producers and sending it to our NR and my band members and our manager. And like, that's and, fascinating. Cause I feel like the vocals on this record in particular, it's like, you're kind of doing, so many different things um tonally that i don't think i've ever heard you do before and it works really really well so that's why i'm impressed that you were doing it by yourself and you know just trying different things and that's that was the end result yeah it was just like it became stressful you know whereas like where you're in this when you i realized that next time what i'll probably do is i'll probably go into a room with a producer that i trust and we'll just do it together back and forth back and forth and it'll be like this more creative flow state where like this was kind of rigid and like right you know i had to like be like okay well like mike who plays bass in the band who is my you know co collaborative musical partner like he doesn't like this whereas like dave at the label loves it and yeah jacob in the band says that's a really cool riff and mike doesn't you know it's like it was me deciphering having to be like okay he likes it he doesn't which one of these two's opinion am i going to lean into and, and that's tough because, you know, you're trying to like break your ego down and be like, well, he likes my opinion. He doesn't. You know, it, it was just like a, a bit of a – I was doing mental gymnastics with the record. Yeah, man. I, I can only imagine. Uh, it's funny what <laughs> – 
doing vocals with a lot of people there is sometimes a nightmare because there i i feel like every singer has experienced this where like you're in the vocal booth and there's a bunch of people in the mixing room you know what i'm saying there's like a producer who's on the talk back and then like your band members are like sitting on the couch and you do this take that you feel really fucking good about and then they hit the talk back and you can just overhear that the members of your band are just like talking about what they're gonna have for lunch or something and you're like yeah you're like come on man like was that all right like totally you know and it's like it's almost embarrassing or like they click the talk back and you hear everybody laughing but they're laughing about something else and you're just like oh no like and so then yeah your 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 vulnerability is like at a fucking 12 in those situations and when you're not getting the response that you want your vulnerability goes to a 15 because you're like uh can anyone tell me if this is okay yeah well i want i want everyone to cheer for me Every time, you know what I mean? Like, you want to yeah. hear that talk back of Mike and have them be like, dude, he's dude, crazy. You- yeah. Yep. But, like, that's not the reality. Like, no one's in, nope. as invested in it as you are. Totally. Like, totally. And that's that's a fucking learning curve. Like, the first spiritual cramp, seven-inch mass hysteria, the, first, the second seven-inch police state. Like, it was like what you're talking about, right? But, like, we were so young in our inception that, like, everyone was quiet in, in the control room being like, what is he going to do? Like, can he even sing? Because I remember, like, I didn't sing at practices for the first seven inches. Like, I was just like, because I play guitar. Yeah. And so I was helping write the music. And I got, I got into the vocal booth. And, like, every it, like the way that different fur is laid out, it's like, there's this big, like, there's just one big control room. And then there's the big giant window and everyone was just standing there watching. And I remember oh. I did it and they were all like, yeah. And I remember, you know, I remember being like, this is, this is, I'm good. I'm good at this. Yeah. Like, and, um, and I think, I think there probably was a little bit of that, what you were describing too, but like, yeah, I think for the next thing, I'll for sure go into a studio. But anyways, I just wanted to tell that story. No, that's a great story. I appreciate it. Um, what was the first band that actually had a release like on a label? Like, what was that? First band that had a release on a label? Yeah, like, what was the first label you ever dealt with? Because often it's usually, like, friends that are like, yeah, I have a label called this. But, like, was there ever, like, you know, someone oh, that you didn't know that was down to put something out? Because, you know, the reason I ask is because even with, when it comes to, like, say, spiritual cramp, you you guys put out a bunch of like all your different releases are on these different cool like cred punk hardcore labels and i feel like that that was you know the culmination of you where like you know you had put out records through all these different bands on all these cool hardcore labels punk labels and things like that and then you got to sort of exercise your connections when it came to spiritual cramp dude oh man okay so by the way the first like official thing that i ever put out was like it was that first all teeth record called i am losing which like they like to be honest like that band had already like had these songs written and i just like went up and recorded them with them Uh by a a label called high fidelity records oh okay Um, yeah and i don't remember who ran that record label was Um, that the first was that the first band that ever had like a thing on vinyl yeah i think so was that something that was ever important to you like was that like an exciting moment to get that record for the first time no i didn't care about that (laughs) (laughs) 
I didn't care about that. I, do you I care really... about it now? Like now, do you get like when you get the test press? Is that like something that's exciting to you, or are you are you just sort of someone that you just care about people hearing the songs? You don't really give a shit about the format. I care about design. And I care about the way that the record looks. And I care about the way that the colors look mm-hmm. when I see the record sleeve. And I care about the way that the label looks. Because um, you I also design, you design the merch and stuff like that, right? Am I making that up? For Spiritual Cramp? I don't yeah. anymore. Um, okay. Yeah, no. Our, our, our auxiliary percussionist, Jose, um, has taken over doing basically all of the merch he does like video he he helps direct videos for us um he does most of like the flyers if we need flyers made okay um i did use i did all of that for a long time but jose is um a really really incredible graphic designer and kind of has done it as a job for a long time i was gonna Um, say because you guys have always had really good just like overall design aesthetic merch and all of that i think like it's just all of the different energies of I, I then it makes sense it's like all the different energies of the members of the band kind of having this outward projection of what you guys are doing you know? yeah i i still art direct the band right like so like i it's still i'd say like I, I don't even know i couldn't even say a percentage but like i mean it's still like what it's still something that's out of the center of my brain Um, but like now I have help of like some really, really trusted people who are really good at their jobs. Um, so it's like when I say, Oh, like I want this to look like a sex pistol shirt, like Jose's ability to achieve that versus mine are like, there's so much of a gap between my abilities and his that like, if I were to, like, I would just have to be like, like, I, I couldn't, I can't even hold a candle to his abilities to like design what's in my head it's amazing having that like i think you and i have this very similar where like you have jose i have nick in my band where it's when you two are able to have a language to where you're trying to explain an idea and then they without even seemingly flinching can just knock it out that is the just the best kind of relationship to have and it's such a secret weapon for a band too you know it is yeah i mean like i mean just to give some love to like jose like i mean his abilities expand it's so far out like outside of the realm of like secret weapons even like he knows how to use adobe after effects like a savage so it's like anytime we need marketing materials created for like a new song if we need like a reel with like moving text and like he has the ability to do that and he's doing it using branding materials that he designed. So it's like, because of him, we're able to present this whole branded thing from top to bottom, front to back with flyers, with album design, with all of our reels. And yeah, like you said, it's like, I mean, Nick is also, you know, one of my favorite designers. And it's like, I can't imagine how cool, like I have a Nick, you know what I mean? I mean Jose, yes. you know, it's the sickest shit ever. It's so cool. And people are always like, man, you guys are like, killing it on your social you know people say like oh you're killing it yeah. on your social media and it's like yeah there's because like one of us is like taking hours and hours and hours out of their life to like make sure to do that so like totally really appreciative of, of jose's involvement in the band but to bring it back no the record it was i didn't i didn't care about the vinyl i just i care about what it looks like I, yeah I'm, I'm an optics man <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it uh so uh 
what and i'm assuming all teeth was the first band that you did the tour with was that your first band you ever toured with or did any of the other bands ever do any like weekend warrior stuff yeah like like for sure like we did weekend warrior stuff glory did i think glory was the first band to like do weekend warrior stuff um go down to la um we played a show in la with donnie brook and terror whoa yeah and like that was probably like two like that sounds like it would have been like 2004 four or five yeah that it was sounds like two, that it was like 2004 or five um and i remember just like I, it was straight up my first time in la ever and i Do you remember where it was dude it was it was it was at some like it was it was really shady it was at like a it was in like i remember you had to enter in an alleyway studio s north hollywood it was in la property it was like it, it was like uh at Studio know. S for sure. I couldn't tell you how big the room was. Yeah, was it, um, did it feel? Did it feel kind of like a like a like a warehouse? A warehouse. Vibe? Yeah, it was a warehouse. Yeah. That was Studio S in North Hollywood for yeah. sure. And I remember that was my first time in LA, and Terror was playing, Donnie Brook was playing, and I just like at the time, like to me, like those were like big bands. Yeah, um, and, and so like I was like, I was just like, I had because I had been to punk shows and hardcore shows a bunch at the time. So like I knew what I was seeing, but I remember being like, "This is I'm in danger," like because you know like LA's a tough place. Like you'll get your ass beat here, um, and it's like the people here like they don't fuck around, and like the bands here don't fuck around. And I remember the first time, like, because the Bay is different. It's like way more punk leaning, and that was the first time. Like, uh, I think I'd ever left town, I think officially like, you know, I'd played like a show in series, you know, I, you know, or like, but yeah, coming down to LA was like the first time I remember having my mind blown and being like, were you someone, like, were you someone that took to the idea of touring? Like, did you, did the discomfort, you know, that comes with tour? Did that something, was that anything that bothered you or is, you were just always down to get in the van? No, dude, I was always down to get in the van. I'm still down to get in the van. I'm such an uncomfortable person as it is. Like, if you know me, like, really, really well, and, like, we're hanging out, you could be like, oh, like, Mike's just, like, I'm just uncomfortable. I don't know where to put my hands. I don't, like, I don't sleep well. I, like, I'm just, like, nervous, right? I'm, like, a really nervous person. And so, like, being on tour is just, like, a an extension of that. And, like, like it's, like, this place that I can go where, like, I'm not in control of anything. And, and it's, like, it, it's, like, Do you it makes I, me I don't know submit. if I know this. Do you, are you a driver? Do you drive a lot on tour or do you not? Never. 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 I, you know, it's so funny. I was going to, I was thinking to myself, I was like, Mike is either someone who's always behind the wheel or never behind the wheel. I'm a, I am a backbench to myself guy. Oh, you know what, you know what I mean? Yeah. You get a whole bench. I'm like, I'm like the guy who's like, people are like, yeah, yeah. He's all, he he doesn't help with that stuff but he's all like they give me a pass like i don't I, I, i'm i i i do help load yeah but it's, okay it's performative <laughs> you know what i mean i i you think i don't know what you mean you know yeah like, yeah you make sure that everyone sees you bringing in two guitar cases yeah. at least once so they yes. know that you did you yeah yeah you like put those sometimes two guitar cases down and then all of a sudden oh shit i gotta take a call you gotta, you gotta go say hi to the promoter, right? <laughs> I'll be like, and I make sure they see me like talking to the promoter, 
and you know and then like like oh, or like thing. yeah i'll take a base cab you know what i mean i'll and like like if i see some stairs yeah. you know and and there's a base cab i'll be like all right like, watch this motherfuckers and i'll like go get the base cab and like you know or like one day i'll like really power out a load in so that they see yeah. you know what I, like i do i, yeah. I try oh, to yeah. help yeah yeah no you don't gotta explain shit to me man i yeah, know what yeah. you're doing i, know I you're have doing. other skills you know what i yeah. mean that like and like my band dudes like they like we all contribute like what we're good at and like yeah there's this manual labor mine's more intellectual <laughs> I love you. I'm just um, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know. know. I know. I know. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, what about music videos? Was Creative Adult the first band that you did a music video with? Yeah, for sure. It for okay. sure was. It was the Deep End music video with Alex Henry. Oh, amazing! Alex yeah. Henry, friend of the podcast, past oh, guest, friend homie. to all. Yeah. So Best. you're on Run for Cover Records at that point. Okay. So all teeth splits. Creative Adult forms out of the ashes of all teeth because he got some some of the same members in it. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. You guys signed to Run for Cover Records. Yeah, and um, one record that I one thing I can't remember if you told me the story or if a member of Creative Adult told me this story. You guys recorded with Ephraim from Godspeed, <laughs> yeah. which is insane. Yeah. You guys went and recorded it because that's in Canada, right? Was it yeah, Toronto? it's in Montreal. Montreal, yeah. okay, yeah, which Montreal. is sick. That usually, oh shit, we get to go record a record with a member of Godspeed, you black yeah. member. Like that's yeah. so sick. But I had heard that he's kind of an uh, Steve Albini ish sort of person, where he's like maybe uh, very pure in his recording technique. Oh yeah. And a and a story that I had heard was, tell me if I'm wrong. If this is an exaggerated story, if maybe I've amplified it, but maybe you recorded a song. Did you record that record live? Was that recorded? Yeah, live? that record was recorded live. Okay, was there an, a point when someone in the band said, I want to punch in this part, and he acted like he didn't know what that meant because he didn't believe in punching in? Is that a true story? Oh, my Did God. I, it, that is so funny. But I don't recall if that particular story is true, but, like, the way that he produced that, because he kind of helped produce it, too, like, in the studio. Like, that was definitely what he was doing. Okay. For sure. Ephraim had a very interesting vibe. It it was very Albini-esque. That studio is um, it's really nice. It's beautiful. It was all wooden room. I, I believe that they own the building. Um, Can I ask you what led you to wanting to record with him? Was there because maybe I'm unfamiliar with some of the records that he's done, or maybe I'm not aware that he did it. But was there something that you guys were like, oh, this is the because I don't know if I know anyone else who's ever recorded with him before. Like, what led you to wanting to record there? Yeah, our singer Scott really wanted to go and record there. Um, I, I think he does all the Godspeed stuff. Sure. Um, and and they have that record label that they do, um, Constellation Records, which I believe Ephraim is kind of like a the guy uh, for. Yeah. yeah, the guy for, and um, I think he does some of those records. Um, but like Scott just like really wanted to do it, and we we all thought it would be a fun experience, right? Like again, still. At this at this point, Jeremy, like I wasn't designing anything in my life, right? If that makes sense, like I was just yeah. like, it. I was just like there, and I was like, you were just a sick guitar player looking to looking to rock. Yeah, like I, I you know, like like you kind of had met me by that point, right? Like, yeah, and, yeah. and like, like I, yeah, I don't think at that point I was like, oh, I want to be in a band that sounds like this, and you know, I I knew I wanted to be in a post punk band, right? But like. 
I wasn't like, oh, these producers rock, these producers rock. like it was just like Scott was like, let's go to Montreal and record with the guy from Godspeed. And like to me, I was like, dude, sounds sick. Right. Like and it was a very that band was very democratic. Um, so, yeah, that's why we went there. But the studio is gorgeous. Um, and Ephraim, Ephraim, Ephraim was such an interesting person. Um, I like I, I just I had never met. I don't I don't think at that point I had met anyone who was like in a band that big, right? Like cuz I still lived up in the North Bay, right? Like I hadn't even moved out. I was probably like 24 and I I had never, you know, I didn't know a lot of people. Like I knew like people in big punk bands like ish, you know, selling yeah. 300 400 tickets, right? But like I didn't know anyone who was in Godspeed You Black Emperor yet. And I remember he mentioned the name Tom Windish to me. I said, because they had just done, they had just done a, the reunion tour Godspeed had. And we got there and he was like, I was just asking, I was like, well, how are you going to book the rest of your tour? You know, because I like didn't know like about booking agents, but like he was like, oh, I'll just have like Tom Windish just like book the rest of it. And I figured out who Tom Windish was. And I was like, oh, that's like gotta be coolest agent of all time and he yeah. is now spiritual cramps booking agent which is to me the so coolest like, thing in the world yeah I like, yeah yeah I, re- I just remember hearing him say that that name and being like dude like that guy's probably really badass um, <laughs> you know like and then i yeah. thought he booked all these other cool bands but um yeah but yeah no Ephraim was very hands-off um and it was like it was a funny. It was a funny recording experience. I thought he didn't like me at the time because he's so dry. Mm. He's a very str- straightforward. Like he is that guy's not bullshitting. And um, yeah. Uh, but the, the other day, my friend was on tour with Godspeed, and and they sent me a text, and they said, "Hey, Ephraim, Ephraim says hello, and he remembers you, and he hopes you're hopes you're very well." Um, uh, so you know, it's all love. I just like I it all comes full circle. So, how long yeah. were you guys in the studio? It was like eight days. Oh, okay. So yeah, I mean, you're doing it live. So did, uh, was it like one day to set up and then you guys just kind of did all the music and then the vocals last kind of on your way home kind of a deal? Yeah, for sure. It was pretty low key. Like it was, it wasn't like there was like a board on the wall with like anything we wanted to accomplish. It was like, <laughs> it's just like, oh, we have just 13 songs. I remember when guys- we sent it to run oh, for cover. No, no, yeah. I, well, Ephraim, cause Ephraim mixed it too. Mm-hmm. And, um, we sent it to run for cover and they were like, this is the record that you just made because it was like it was like a garage rock record. It was like a post punk garage rock record. Yeah, it didn't sound like what it was coming up on Run for Cover at the time. Uh, did you guys ever end up having to do like more mixes, or did it Run for Cover just be like, well, okay, this is what we're doing, dude? They Run for Cover is the best record label of all time. Like they're just like so supportive. They're like, okay, cool, like well, let's get it mastered. And so we got it mastered um, by John Golden, and um. And that really did like kind of reel it in a little bit. It was such an open record. So many, like a lot of room mics, you know, it wasn't very, right. you know, the mics weren't pulled in. The mics were in the rooms. And so was, that, that helped pulled it in. And they were just like, okay, yeah, this rocks. And they were, they just supported us. That's all they, that label Elder did. Looking for an extraordinary coffee? Look no further than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, 
Visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing, and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T, work, coffeebar.com. To bring it back to music videos, you know, something that I've always complimented Spiritual Cramp about is you guys are really good at music videos. Like, like, I mean, the first time I saw the Erasure music video, I blew you up where I was just like, dude, this is just this is what I love about music videos. It's like it's fun. It's colorful. It's got you guys all look like you're interested in being there, you know, like that's and that's continued throughout i think all of your videos where everybody in your band is very on board with doing it whereas uh, i can speak for myself uh, with my band we're not music video people and i think that that almost might come across in our music videos where it's <laughs> like they're never they've, they've never been very warm because it's like we just feel we feel out of our element and when we're doing them to be totally honest whereas like you watch your music videos and i get a sense of like this is a bunch of people that i'd want to be friends with because they all look like they're the most fun like they're all in it and i think that that's a huge accomplishment when it comes to a band to like find people that are all willing to play the part you know and it's coming off naturally um i guess my question for you is was that something that did come naturally or was that you kind of having to figure out the best way to accomplish that sort of energy oh that's a well thank you for the that those kind words for sure um i view music videos as a way to establish another part of our band's narrative right like earlier i made a joke and said i'm an optics guy but like i am i'm and so i would try to use our videos as a means to say, here's the visual aspect of everything you're seeing in a video form, right? Like I want people to understand that like, it's not totally serious. Like if you look, listen to our lyrics, like you're going to understand that like I'm someone who's really trying to sing about what's going on inside of me. And, 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 you know, it can, it can maybe sound a little melodramatic, but like if you see the videos, it's like, Oh, these guys aren't like totally up their own asses. Right, it, it's supposed to be lighthearted, and it's it's supposed to tell the other side of the story. It's like this is what we look like, and this is the vibe that you're gonna get when you meet us and when you see us. This is what we're into, right? Like we like we like you know we you're gonna see us in track jackets, right? And we're gonna be dressed up, like or dressed down, as some might say, like but we're gonna be swagging because we all like swagging out and. You know, like you're going to see Max around us. You know, it's like if you come to a show in San Francisco, you're for damn sure going to see our homeboy Max. And he might even be on stage with a tambourine or, you know what I mean? He's going to be running the show at the park side or, you know, like you're going to like, it's just, it's supposed to be fun, right? And it's supposed to be approachable and serious at the same time, I guess. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I definitely don't mean to come off like as if it's not serious and i know you i'm sure you're not taking it that way either no, but like that's yeah it's it's uh 
a weird comparison would be, and take it as you will, uh, when you're young and you see like a Blink-182 music video where you're like, that's some dudes I would like to hang out with. They seem fun. Yeah. You know, like there's there's that element, not to every one of your videos, but to some of your videos where you're like, like especially the Erasure video, it's like, oh man, it probably was really fun to be on set that day to record this video. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. And I think it, that energy has come through on a few of your videos. And even the newest one um, is so so good how long did that take you to to shoot that's the one where it's kind of like a like a crime movie sort of a sort of a deal we get a we get a, a cameo from ian shelton a military gun in there too um how long how long did that video shoot take and like what was the setup for that one dude that video was crazy um, and that's for better off this way for people listening yeah yeah so the video for better off this way and talking on the internet um both of those videos were recorded over the span of two days um holy shit yeah both really long days um i had approached because sean stout um, i know you know sean as well uh who's an incredible director done some touche videos too yep sure right so i mean he's done so many incredible pieces of media right him he's just a talented guy yeah oh yeah definitely shout out sean um and um i I, sean and i are really close friends right so we like we're talking all day just you know go surfing and you know we're just buds um and this music video came out from this band that i like and we saw it and i sent it to sean and i was like look at this video like and he just wrote me back he was like i can do better than that video and I remember, th- and I remember being like, "Well, that's a really good video." So I'm not, I'm not going to say what band it was, but like, yeah, sure, it's a really cool, in my opinion, a band that just made a comeback or put a not even made a comeback. They just uh, put out a new record, first one in like eight years, from Sweden. Put out this video, and um, it's just amazing. And I sent it to, to Sean, and I was like, "Look at this badass video!" And he was like, "Dude, we should try to, we should try to top that because it's it's a and um yeah and." I said, yeah, let's do it. You know, once I get the record, you know, kind of moving forward and we figure out what the singles are, like, let's do some videos. And so he just, he said, we, we need this amount of money to do it. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's cool. And so I go to the label and I said, label, Hey, you know, he wants this much money for the video. And they were like, well, what if we gave you that much money and you did two videos? <laughs> and, classic and, and playable yeah classic um and, and so i went to sean and i was like hey uh what if we do two videos and he was like he's like yeah fuck it let's do it i just I, I i like i don't think sean made any money off our videos i'm not i'm not really sure it, yeah it, i, I just kind of let him do our do his thing but like man he knocked it out of the park he he we we got i showed up that first day to film which we filmed most of better off this way the first day um at the sergeant house ranch um i forget the name of what kathy calls it but uh i showed up and there was a crew of like 20 people um and like it was like the most there was like craft there was like craft services like we, there was food you know what i mean i'd never done anything wow, yeah. like that before um he pulled out all the stops uh, you know pat the dp was incredible um the dude is just like one of the most talented people i've ever worked with katie the producer um man she was wrangling 20 people at once and like it was just such a professional thing and then to get to do that with 
someone like, cause Sean is really just like a really close friend of mine. And yeah. So to have him come, I've never worked with him before. And so to like show up to Sean's set for our band and have him just look at me and kind of just like raise his eyebrows and be like, told you, you know, like, like he's so good. And um, yeah, he did just an amazing job. Jose wrote uh, better off this way with Sean. Um, and yeah, we just, we felt like wrote really the blessed. treatment for it. You're saying, yeah, yeah. He wrote the treatment for it. Got it. Uh, no, it's funny. I, <laughs> Sean is so, um, like laid back that there are times when you're working with him like that, where you're like, are, are you good? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, are you stoked on how this is coming out? And he's just so kind of unflappable when he's in that role where he's like, yeah, no, it, it'll be cool. It'll be yeah, cool. he's like, very mellow. Very mellow. And then you yeah. see the end result and you're like, oh, yeah, no. Yeah. You absolutely killed this. It's extremely professional. Like the yeah. highest level of, of, of professionalism that I maybe have ever experienced. Like, I, I would argue to say like working in music. It's, that's it, awesome yeah yeah so, shouts out to sean and pat and katie and the whole crew really appreciate everyone you know you and i have been pals throughout i think all of the spiritual cramp story you know oh, what i'm yeah, saying like sure. like from when from when the band first started and i was curious when it came time to finally do the full length you know like this has been a conversation throughout our friendship because it's like you guys continue to do eps it was like seven inch seven inch yeah. seven inch collection lp um and then seven inch and now it's like the full lp do you feel like because you're such a visionary that for this band in particular um that you ever had nerves about being like committing like this is the full length time or was it hard for you to wait this long to start saying this is the full length time wow that's a great question because I can imagine, like, it's like, oh, we wrote four banger songs. Fuck it, let's just put it out now as a seven inch. Or like, we wrote four banger songs. Let's put them in the, let's put them to the side and continue to write. You know, like, is now the time? You know, like, I can, I can understand the nerves of like preparing to finally do it. You know, because I mean, the band the first release came out in twenty seventeen. Yeah, it's crazy that here we are, twenty twenty three, and now we're getting the full length. You know, I know it's crazy when you put it that way for sure. Um... Oh man, the the road to the the LP has been so long. We knew we were going to do the first seven inch, and we knew we were going to do the second seven inch. And I knew, like it, I I would after television that was all planned. Like it was supposed to be one two comp. Then that's when I kind of lost track of my vision. Um, because what happened was, is we came out of the gates with a bunch of really cool opportunities, right? Like we, you know, American Nightmare took us on a U.S. tour. Our first time playing out of the Bay was on tour with Turnstile, Story So Far, and Drug Church. We played three shows and we, our four shows. And and then we got, you know, on a U.S. tour with American Nightmare, Piss Jeans, and No Warning. And then from that, we jumped onto a radioactivity tour, right? Like all on one seven inch. Um, and so we had like some aspirations, you know, like we, we knew that we wanted the first LP to be extremely impactful. Um, and we wanted it to be like culturally relevant, 
Like we, we did not just want to put out an LP and go and slog it out and be some band who like kind of slowly came up. Like we've danced around this for so long yeah. and, and, and we've stayed alive somehow. Right. Like, I don't know how, cause there, there were, there were times where like during the pandemic and even a little bit before the pandemic, like there was like a bit of a lull in the band. And I, I do think that's because we waited, you know, to do the full length. Um, if we would have just put it out and started fighting, I think it would have gone a little bit quicker, but. Um, and, but you know, I'm sure you've thought about this, but like hindsight again, using the hindsight word, I think that waiting as long as you did is likely beneficial. Cause I mean, how, how shitty would it have been if you dropped it in 2020 right before the pandemic happened? And then, you know, you would have had to almost feel like you're starting over in a way because yeah. You know, it would have been the first LP, but the fact that you waited as long as you did, found the right label, all of that. I mean, you and I have had plenty of conversations about record labels and like all of that sort of stuff and and whatever else. Um, and, you know, as long as as long as it took, like, here we are. And I think it was the right time. Do you feel that, too? Oh, definitely. It, 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 I think that, you know, it does feel like the band right now has a little bit more steam than we have ever had um and i do believe it is because we have waited for so long and 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 really we held our cards in for so long dude like i mean we wanted to have i i i wanted to have a really really cool and good label and when i use the word cool what i mean is like a label that was going to support us and you know, really be a good, good partner. And I wanted to have a, a really good booking agent. And I wanted to have like a good manager because if we're going to do this and we're going to jump off the cliff and we're going to go and make this band our lives, I don't want to do that to any less than the best of my ability. Um, and it took a little while to find the right partners to make sure that we're taking this jump. You know, it's like, it's like a calculated risk. It's like, all right, like I'm, fucking up my entire life right now to be in a band full time. But at least I can say that I'm doing it with a bunch of people that like are proven to be good at their jobs. And I have strong partners. We have strong partners. So yeah, like I, it, and also like, I, you know, I, I don't want to go too deep into this, but like, I don't think I, we, I, I can only speak for myself, but I don't think that I was ready to do this. I, I, I think that, I, I think that now I'm ready. I think that, you know, I had to quit drinking and I had to quit using drugs. Um, and, and I don't think that I could have handled what's happening right now to the best of my ability. I don't think that that would have happened this way, but um, yeah, it wasn't time. Now it's time. There's the part of me that would have loved to have heard what a spiritual cramp full length in 2018 would have sounded like because those earlier EPs, they're a lot gruffer. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like they're they're there's more anger to them. They they're snottier, you know, yeah. that kind of a thing. Like there's, there's that hard edge to them. But I think again, waiting as long as you did, the band has smoothed out those corners and harnessed your ability to write hooks and really kind of 
you know, I mean, there's hooks on that early stuff. Obviously, there's yeah, hooks, yeah, tenderloin, all that stuff. Like, there's yeah, there's, oh, there's there's big old hooks in there. But but now they're like the the edges have been smoothed out. The production has tightened, and I think that all of that has just made you guys a better band. You know, yeah, I I agree. I also think that like if we would have put out an LP in like 2019 or early 2020, it would have been too punk right like it would have just been this like intent because you know we like the first recordings are like intention they they sound like that intentionally we right, wanted yeah. it to sound like a stooges record and right it probably would have been a full length of that and i don't know if a transition from that into where we're at now would have even worked because like like yeah. this new record is like is high fidelity production i mean it's like yeah it sounds i mean it sounds like it would be coming out on fucking you know capital records or some shit yeah it's like it's like a big ass fucking well recorded record yeah it's 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 extremely high high, yeah it's exactly and i and, and i think that because the only thing that we had in between 2018 and now is one seven inch and that seven inch was like a little high fire production like, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, too, it wasn't like what we're doing now. But I think, I think that the journey to where we started to where we are at now is the only way it would have worked. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's hard, you know, like, yeah, all I don't I know, know if you know here today and it's working. I don't know if you know this, Mike, but you know that a lot of your records are now high priced items on discogs.com. That's what this? I've heard. Yeah. I mean, that's probably got to be a little crazy too. It's like, I think there's only one co- I, I was looking this stuff up just out of curiosity, you know, when doing my research. Like there's only one copy, I think, of the compilation record up on Discogs right now. And it's like going oh, for like 60, 70 bucks. Oh wow. Which, which is sick. And then you look at those early seven. I mean, the the fact that you your self-release seven inch, that's going for yeah. like 50, 70 bucks. Yeah. Copy that seven inch, which, which is, is crazy. And I remember, you know, you and I talking a lot around the time of that seven inch, and it's like you know, uh, not to pull back the curtain too much, but like, you know, you had moved away from a manager you were with originally. You weren't on a label at that point. You were kind of searching, trying to figure out what label to go with. So you guys just self-released the seven inch. And I remember you kind of like talking about how stressful even doing that was. Dude, so you were taking yeah. a lot of chances and you were and you were betting on yourself. And I think that's what's led you to where you are now. And I know that that was a long road. And I guess just like on Mike as your friend, like, it's fucking really cool to see that like you. your vision led you to this and it's was all the right moves in the end, you know, it dude, it honestly, like, cause the entire time, cause Barb, my wife for listeners who don't necessarily know too much about me, my wife is a hairstylist and she does like a lot of really like, you know, high impact, uh, clients, if you will. I believe someone called them, calls them celebrity clients. Right. And she's a freelancer as well. And so we both like, are on this journey together, right? Of like, we're trying to do something kind of out of the ordinary and maybe like go a little further than we initially thought we ever could. And on that path, man, like what you're talking about, it's like all you can literally do is bet on yourself and just like hope to God that you think that, that the th- these things that you think about yourself and like your self-worth and like where you think it is that you can end up, will eventually take you there. And it does feel like right now, in particular today, you know, it's funny, like my wife got me a beautiful gift this morning and 
she got it because she she said i just wanted to like get you this to congratulate you she got me this pair of glasses that i really have wanted um she said i want to get you this to congratulate you on everything that's been happening and yeah like i appreciate you saying that man like it, it does feel like maybe we're finally starting to get to the point where like i thought maybe one day we could end up and uh definitely I mean, it's not fun to get here but i mean we'll see we'll see how things all roll out but i mean like just friend to friend i mean this everything is it's, it's so fucking cool to see and yeah and it, you know and bringing up the discogs thing that only i only bring that up because it's like you know it's showing that there's like this there is a fucking big buzz going right now you know and i know all of that stuff was a lot of work and it was a long journey to get here and now all of a yeah. sudden you know, things like that are percolating and starting to happen. So that I feel like that's like an underground, like record nerd sort of buzz that happens <laughs> that only is going to just show how much, you know, the impact of this LP coming out is going to be. So yeah, I'm fucking, I'm psyched. Thank you. Um, and uh, I, I feel like I could hit you with the last question, which was when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you were been working so hard towards? Well, I had some, I had some time to think about this question. Um, and this is like a, you know, like I, I want to be funny and, uh, you know, I want to make jokes and like everyone think I'm like really sharp witted, but really like the honest to God answer to this question was, I thought it was when I started spiritual cramp. Um, because that was the first time I was ever in charge of a band and I was able to really control everything from top to bottom and create a whole thing. Um, and because it was, you know, it was received well off the bat, right? Like, it, you know, you were there. Like, it wasn't it, it wasn't the biggest thing in the world, but, like, people seemed like they were into it. To me, at least, is how it felt. And, uh, and there's then, something like, about There's something about when a friend's band puts something out or, like, someone that is known in the scene, you know, like, you're someone who, like, if you're, if you're in the punk or hardcore scene in, in California, you're someone that people recognize because you've been in so many bands, right? Yeah. So to have a band come out that sonically is different than anything any of our peers are doing. It's it's your people are going to notice it and people are going to talk about it. So yes, I, I, you know, not to cut you off, but yeah, it's like when the first thing came out, I think a lot of people perked up because we're like, Whoa, Mike B's doing something different. Yeah. Mike B's in a ska band or <laughs> 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 whatever. For sure. No, but I, I thought it was when spiritual cramp started um, because things kind of, took off a little faster than any other band I had been in. Um, but I now realize, because what you're talking about, right? You're saying, you remember we were talking about that. Here comes more bad news. Seven. Inch. I remember that conversation. I remember I was standing in my backyard. We, it was in the middle of the pandemic. And I think you were like about to maybe put out your last record. It was but 2020, yeah. Yeah, I remember I remember I was in a place of great uncertainty and I was not very well at that time. I was I was drinking a lot and I was like kind of you know like I don't I don't like bands who like to publicly pimp their drug addiction for like a narrative, but like I was straight up addicted to drugs at that time. Um and I was really good at presenting like I was doing well, but I wasn't well. And I thought that that was when I, I thought that in that moment I was where I was supposed to be and what, doing what it was that I thought I was supposed to be doing. But I now realize that the real moment that um, I started doing what it is that I wanted to be doing was the moment I got sober and got serious about this band. 
And that's when it really started kicking into high gear, in my opinion, sobriety. And um, yeah, I wish I had like a longer, long, no, long-winded answer. But I love that. What do you, you know, not to, um, you know, get hyper specific, but like once you embraced your sobriety, was it something like you, was it like the next song that came out around that time? Or was it like a band practice where you just felt better performing? Like, um, is there anything that you can point to once you've, once the sobriety kind of kicked into your life that you did realize like, oh, I'm better at this or like, you know, like, was it the way a song was laid out? Like, how do you, how do you contextualize that? Well, when you stop using drugs and alcohol the way that I was using them, you are left with pretty much only yourself every morning. And so for me, what that looked like was having to do some serious self-assessment and kind of take a look in the mirror. And I think for the first time in my life after getting sober, I had to do some serious inventory and kind of become a little more self-aware, right? Mm -hmm. And the way that I treated my band members and the way that I treated people around me. And, you know, it's a work in progress, but like in the way that I treated strategizing the band and going out there and doing things that I didn't want to do and listening to people, right? Like you, like listening to people is one of the most impactful things that I have ever learned which is so stupid to say that at 36 years old, you know, I wish that I could say that like that was a skill that I developed earlier, but it wasn't. So now I'm able to like solicit feedback from my trusted people around me. And, you know, we played the other night at the lodge room and the night before we played in soda bar in San Diego, and Barb was there. And after our show at soda bar, Barb walked up to me and she was like, Hey, I love this set but you were spitting too much because I spit when we play a lot. Um, and she was like, you need to like tone that back a little bit um, because like it's kind of it's kind of unhinged. And she was like, and I think that you might like, you know, be making people feel uncomfortable. And that was like one of the, uh, the moment for me where I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, well, if she says that I need to stop spitting. I should probably stop spitting. And the next night I like went to the laundry room and I wasn't spitting so much. And like, I know that's really small, but like, I have a lot of really smart people around me. People like yeah. you, like I can call you yesterday. I called you and I said, Jeremy, what do you think of this tour? And you said, Oh, like, here's what I think. Right. And like, yeah. I realize now that like in my sobriety, like I realize that I am not the designer. I'm not like every thought that pops into my head is not going to be the right thought, but I know that there are smart people around me who I can reach out to and say, hey, like, how did you deal with this? Like, what do you, what do you think about this? Like, and I can really be more informed. I can be a, a well-informed person through the people around me's experiences and being a little bit more considerate of my actions. And I think that that's perhaps why the band is doing a little better than it has in the past. Wonderful. I love that. And thank you for for sharing all of that. I, I have a feeling there's a lot of people that are going to hear that that are going to be able to relate to it or at least take something from it. So I, I appreciate so. your candor on that. Yeah, I hope so. I, you know, it was it was through and, you know, not to you know be the, the I got sober guy because it's a tired narrative, but like it was through seeing people I knew 
post about their sobriety or talk about it on the internet. Like, our, you know, mutual friend, Sam Veldy posted, uh, you know, I'm, I, I've got like, I think he had like two years, three years sober. And I remember seeing that and thinking I was in the middle of some really dark, dark, a dark period of my life. And I saw that. And I remember thinking like, well, if that guy did that, I can probably go do that. And you know, it's like, hopefully someone yeah. can find, you know, use my light as, uh, you know, while they're lost in the dark. So love that if you are struggling you're yourself. the best mike dude thanks so much for uh for hanging out with me today i'm so glad we finally did this yeah thank you jeremy i, I appreciate the opportunity so much And that is our show. Thank you so much to Mike for coming on and thank you for listening. This episode was produced, edited, and made to sound oh so good by my boy Ryan Rainbow. Shout out to him. And reminder, there is a bonus episode available right now. If you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where Mike answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. And if you haven't listened to their self-titled record, go listen to it right now. All right. Have a good rest of your week. Take care of yourself. I will see you next Wednesday. Be good. Bye. Bye.